All right. Well, let me, uh, let me pray, um, ask for God's grace, and then we will uh, dive in uh, to our discussion. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful uh, for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we are so grateful that the grace of Christ unifies us, that all of us in this room who, who, who call on the name of Christ were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but now have been made alive in Christ through the gospel of grace. Lord, you have lavished on us with rich mercy um, your salvation, the salvation you have given us in your Son. Uh, Father, I, I just pray that you would use this message uh, for your glory. Uh, you use this message to edify and strengthen your church, to challenge us. Father, I pray that you would allow our church to be the kind of church that has difficult conversations in love, and that we would truly live out Proverbs uh, 27, it says, as iron sharpens, uh, as uh, iron one man sharpens another, that we would be sharpening one another, that we would be encouraging and rebuking one another, so that we would become more uh, fully transformed into the image of the Son. So, Father, I pray that even how we think about politics, uh, Lord, tonight, that you would uh, allow this word uh, to be a, a source of encouragement and challenge to your people. Ultimately, we pray, God, that you would um, get glory from this message. So I pray that you would allow me to decrease. I pray that you would guard my tongue. I pray that you would allow me to say nothing that is not of you. God, that I would be balanced, that I would be wise. Uh, and God, I pray that I would be faithful uh, to your word. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak through me now. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can't be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump. You can't be a Christian and not vote for Donald Trump. This is the kind of age that we're in, this kind of polarizing uh, conversation. Uh, when we kind of enter this dialogue, you probably have seen many things out there in the social media sphere and conversations with uh, family and friends. I know that uh, there's been certain conversations I've been in and the issue of politics has come up and there has been uh, tension kind of building on people's shoulders and like veins starting to pop out at people's necks and kind of this ready to, to attack one another. Uh, well, that may be fine and good if you're in the world, but you are in Christ's church. Uh, and because we are in Christ's church, we want to live and act according to the rules that Christ has given us in his word. Uh, this, this charge I even gave you this morning, we want the love of God uh, to be perfected in us in how we love one another. Uh, you know, Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, you've heard me quote it often, um, the new command I give to you, love one another by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if we love one another. So I pray that even if we, as we think about talking about politics, even in political ide ideas or ideologies, um, themes that we may disagree with, I pray that we would do so in a manner of, of love. I pray that we would be a people full of grace and charity. Uh, so this is a, one of those conversations that, you know, you don't wake up uh, on a Sunday morning and say, man, I can't wait to talk about this to the church, right? I feel like I'm, I'm standing up before you ready to step on a landmine, right? <laughs> Trying to avoid which landmine that I don't want, want to step on. But here's one of the things that I love about this church. I love that I, how much encouragement I've gotten from you throughout this week. Hey, pastor, we're praying for you. Hey, pastor, we thank you so much for being uh, bold enough to have enough courage to talk about a difficult topic. Uh, and, and how encouraging is that? Well, the reason why we're having this conversation in, in, in the church is because the world is having this conversation and we live in this world, so we want to be able to engage in this conversation. And if we don't think about this biblically from a Christian worldview, you're going to be getting influence from others outside that may not be of 
of Christ. May that be from his scriptures. So as we begin, first of all, I am, I'm a pastor. Uh, I, am, I am not a politician, nor do I have the body of a politician, right? I am just a pastor trying to speak God's word to you. Uh, to speak about uh, politics, you need to, to have wisdom. Uh, so I pray that the words that I will share today would be uh, like Solomon, uh, would be wise. Um, but there is someone far greater than Solomon, the Lord Jesus, that we want to look to. Uh, so I, I know that the things I'm going to say today are probably going to leave you un, unsatisfied. Uh, what I pray that it'll it's kind of maybe just whet the appetite for this conversation. Uh, you know, we can't get everything in a 25, 30-minute message or even a 45-minute message or if you are in certain churches or when Keith preaches, an hour message, right? <laughs> you can't get all that in and discover everything, okay? Uh, but we want just to kind of whet the appetite and hopefully encourage some, some conversation. But as your pastor, I love you. And I want you to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's important for us when we begin this conversation is that we kind of maybe first maybe take a step back and remove this conversation from our political American context because politics are are international. Uh, Every state, every nation um, has a different form of politics. Uh, Their their government may be uh, a socialist regime, maybe a totalitarian regime or, or, or a monarchy. Every country is going to view politics different, and we have to be very careful not to take our cultural experience and impose that upon the scriptures, right? So there is American politics, which we will talk about tonight, uh, but there's also international politics, and undergirding all that is how God has kind of established politics in the world. So we're going to kind of start with uh, talking about the foundation of politics. So the first uh, point here today is the foundation of politics. So if you have your copy of God's words, let's start with Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. So we know in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and everything was good. Uh, And then in chapter 3, things went awry. Uh, Adam and Eve sinned against God, rebelled against God's good word and brought Eve sin into the garden. So chapter 3 is eating a fruit. Chapter 4 is murder. You see there's a pretty big transgression there. Okay? Uh, So uh, we, we see that God makes a covenant with Noah after the flood. And in Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 5, it says, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So at the foundation of the world, God created individuals as image bearers of, of God. So we reflect God in how we, in how we live. That, that I, the concept of being an image bearer of God is kind of woven through the entire scriptures, and it's foundational for our view of, of government. So right here, this is kind of the initial, not, not formal like this is the way government will be set up, but just kind of generally that God establishes government to bring about his justice for his image bearers on the earth. Uh, so if an image bearer is slain because they're made in the image of God, there must be a reckoning or there must be justice. Uh, now throughout the Old Testament, you'll see how these uh, ideas are worked out in Israel uh, as the, the unique time in, in, of Israel where God was their king and they acted uh, as a theonomy where God was the king and everything was ruled under um, under the word of the Lord. Well, we are not in a theomony, so we as a nation are not bound. Um, uh, you know, we are, there's a separation between our, our, our state 
in local governments, our federal government, and the Word of God. But yet government at its foundational level has not changed. Government exists for justice, for God would have justice for his image bearers. So we see that in kind of maybe at, the, at seed form in Genesis chapter 9. Then we want to jump to two, two places in the New Testament that are kind of foundational for us. We'll start with Romans 13. Romans 13. And I think what, what you see Paul doing here, Paul kind of drawing on some of this language of, of the Old Testament. Uh, so Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. God's word says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist that have been instituted by God. Now think about this. This is connected right into creation because God is the only authority because he's the only creator and he created image bearers, right? So if you take an image bearer's life, there's going to be a reckoning because there is one authority and you have to answer to him. That's what Paul is, is drawing out here. Verse two, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a tear to good conduct, but to bad. Now, this is, of course, what the idea of, of government is. Government is, should not uh, go after those who are doing good and doing well for society, right? In a normal world, uh, in a normal ordered world under God's authority, government should praise those who do good. We'll look at another text here in a second that shows that. And punish the evildoer. To, should bring justice, right? So that God's justice would flourish for his image bearers. Verse 3, for rulers are not a tear to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Now, this is interesting. God places leaders and governing authorities as servants for our good. Now, that good is not only for our human flourishing, right, that we would thrive in society, that we would be safe, that we would have food, that we would have protection, all those sorts of things. It's also for the good of our salvation, right? And so, that, so that God is setting up government so that we would have justice as a platform for us to be, to be able to live out the, the calling of God's image bearers in the world and leading people to salvation. I hope to draw that connection out in, in another passage in a moment. Verse, uh, the end of verse 4. But if we do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out the wrath of God on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, tax to whom tax are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So I think what Paul is doing, he's kind of drawing on some of this language, that, uh, this noetic covenant in Genesis chapter 9, that says if, if, if someone takes a life, then there has to be a sword to come in like corporately to respond to bring justice. Now we see that happening in the nation of Israel, right? Uh, Exodus, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy, Leviticus are laws written and kind of governing God's people. They would, they would be set apart and distinct and different. Well, in societies of the world, since the, the, the people of God have kind of been scattered since, since Babel, uh, there have been different nations in the world, uh, and the government has been established to punish the evildoer and praise those who do good. So if you are doing good for society and you are functioning in a way that honors the Lord, you shouldn't be in fear. Now, caveat, that's not always the case, okay? 
Because if you're doing good in certain societies, sometimes like ours, for the good of the Lord's name, standing on the word of the Lord, you may be persecuted and punished, right? We want to jump to, to Matthew chapter 5. It says that, you know, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all things falsely against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad for they did the same thing to the prophets who were before you, right? And right after that, he says, be salt and light, okay? So we're going to be persecuted, so we shouldn't try to, to, be, to, to avoid that. But in, a, in God's ordered world, if, if a government is under the authority of God, what their design is is to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Let's jump over to Peter. He has the same kind of language in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. So that's Paul and Moses we've looked at. Now we look at Peter, kind of uh, the, the governmental trilogy. That's not funny. Um, so in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see the same thing beginning in verse 13. Same language, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is, the, it is to be uh, to the emperor supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now notice that it says we are submitting to, the, to every institution for the Lord's sake, right? Again, there's something in how we handle ourselves with government that will enable the people of God to flourish in that government so that the gospel would be propagated and more people would come to know Christ. But fundamentally, what you see there, just like you did in Romans, just like you see in, in Noah, the, the job of government is to punish evil in all its forms and to praise those who do good, right? So if you are someone who's trying to do good to society, the government should lift you up because as, as, that's good, that's healthy. Because if, if you praise God's ways and you exhort or celebrate what God is doing in a, or, or positive things in the world, better things are going to happen, right? We know this maybe in, 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 a, in, a, in a micro level, in, in your own family or even in, the, in, your own, in, in our church. Uh, so if, if I celebrate and rejoice in that which is doing good in our congregation, so for example, today I could, I could rejoice in our middle, school, uh, middle schoolers, right? Some of our middle school moms and um, uh, daughters got together and they made cookies and bread and they dropped it off to our seniors to encourage their heart, right? That is good. I can celebrate that. I can rejoice in that, right? Well, when I celebrate and rejoice in that, what happens? You are called to do something similar. You're called to think and to exhort to how can I live my life and serve others? Now, what if I dropped a hammer on those same girls for doing that? How dare you do that and not make it all gluten-free? Right, whatever the case may be, right? If I punish them for doing good, well, they're not going to be doing good, Right? Or if, if, I, if I don't punish, if we don't punish that which is evil, then evil is going to can, can continue, right? We see this in, in um, Ecclesiastes 8, right? Unless there's a swift punishment for, for evil, evil will continue to be propagated, right? Parents, if you have children, many of you are, are expecting parents. If you give your kid uh, an inch, they will take more, right? Uh, why? Because you correct them quickly so that you don't continue. It's the same thing for government on a macro level, right? If you celebrate evil the nation will become more and more evil. If you celebrate good, the nation will become more and more good. The government's foundational purpose is to bring justice for God's image bearers so that people would flourish in the image of Christ and be able to propagate the gospel. Okay? So it goes on in this text. Let me finish this text and we'll keep on going. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And he keeps on going. Servants, be subject to your masters uh, with all, re all respect, 
not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But when you are doing good and you suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is what we're called to. Listen to what it says. For this is what you have been called, because, you, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you could follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no, neither deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Most of the times we read that passage in complete disconnection to the idea of submitting to government. But they're, they're linked, right? We're being subject to our, our, our authorities, right? To praise those who do good and, and punish those who do evil, living as free servants of God. And even if we're being suffering for doing good, we endure. That's exactly what Christ did. So therefore we can do it in our lives here today, Okay. But there's a reason why we can do that. Well, there's a reason is because we want Christ's name to be propagated. We are willing to suffer while doing good so that people would see Christ in us, that we'd be salt and light to the world, and people would want to know the God that we serve. So one of the, the, the things that throughout church history, it says that um, uh, the, mart- the martyr's blood is the seedbed for the church. If you want to see a church grow, watch people stand for Christ and die for Christ. That's what grows churches in hostile areas. Anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting uh, too preachy. Uh, go uh, to Second, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I think this is where you see the connection here of why government exists so that we could propagate the gospel to all nations. This is one of the reasons why each and every week we pray for our government leaders. Sometimes we pray for principals. Sometimes we pray for our police chiefs, our fire chiefs. Sometimes we pray for our president. Sometimes we pray for our, our supreme court. The reason why we do this is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that the purpose, we pray, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So he wants the people of God to live a peaceful and quiet life, to honor the government that is over them, And look at the purpose here. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You see how those things are connected? Right? So God has established justice in the world through government so that the the image bearers would flourish and we pray to live live a peaceful and quiet life and how we respect and honor our governments so that we can continue to propagate the gospel of grace to the world because God desires all people to be saved. Look what it says. keeps on going. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So how we interact with government and how we think about justice is connected to our role as gospel ministers in this world. Okay? We don't want to confuse the two. So why should we care about government or why should we care about justice happening with government? Okay? Four reasons, and I'm getting this directly from the, the book in the back. I think three are in the book, one is my own. Uh, the first is that the gospel is inherently political. The gospel is inherently political. Well, what, what I mean by that is that when we are Christians, what do we say? We renounce all other allegiance. 
we announce Satan and all his ways. And we say what? Jesus is Lord. And when Jesus is Lord, that is a political statement. You're saying, I will bow to no one else. I will bow to Christ as my king and no other. So that is, that is in essence, our, our politics is Jesus is Lord. I remember talking to a, an atheist a few years ago, and he said, I believe that the, the best form of government is a benevolent king. I said, that's very astute, because the Bible says the same thing, right? The best form of government is a benevolent king. One day, all of history is going towards the return of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ will be king, sovereign, ruler. He will be our God, and we will be his people, and we will flourish on the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity. And he will rule as our king, because Jesus is Lord. The gospel is inherently political. Uh, we see this really in, in Luke chapter 20. It's in all the synoptic gospels, uh, I believe, a uh, story you're probably familiar with. Let me just read it for the sake of time. Luke 20, beginning in verse 19, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at, every, at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they had feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authorities and the jurisdictions of the governor. I just find it interesting that there's so many people who are trying to catch people saying things. Let me try to catch you saying something online, right? Or catch you saying something in a conversation. Do you know that that is not good? That is not believing the best about people? Verse 21, so they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius, whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able to answer, not able to not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. It was marveling at the answer and became very silent. What God is saying there is you do to Caesar what is to Caesar's, but God what is God's. What he's saying is that who is, is made in the image on the coin? Denarius. Well, whose image is Denarius made in? He's made in God's. Everything belongs to him, right? So Jesus is trying to squash them. The gospel is inherently political. Number two, um, what we see here is that uh, we, as God's people, care about justice because God is a God of justice. Justified people care about justice because God is a God of justice. When we are born again and we have new hearts, we care about the hurting. We care about the poor. We care about those who are abused and hurting because that is God's heart. God is close to the broken heart and the contrite in spirit. And when you have been born again, you serve not yourself, but you serve others. You should care for the poor. You should care for those who are hurting. So as people of God, we should care about justice. Therefore, we should care about government because government has been established for the sake of justice. And so that we could be continuing our gospel work in proclaiming the gospel of grace to all nations. Number three, a self-justified people are certain with their, that their convictions are just. And this is a challenge when we live in our age. And some of those, maybe even in this room, may tip the scale over here. Uh, self-justifying people saying that I am just in myself, that I am right, and my opinions are right. And I am certain that I'm right and you're wrong. We got to be very careful when we think about the certainty of our own ideas and our own opinions. Uh, we may be wrong. And I think that we, we should be more humble and more charitable in that. 
And lastly, I think this is all this conversation is that a political or judgments require wisdom. And all the things that we're thinking through, it just takes a lot of wisdom. Uh, none of us here are Solomon. None of us here are Jesus. But we all have God's word and we have the power of the Holy Spirit so we can think and pray and lean on each other. So number one, we see the foundation of, of politics. Number two, the fellowship of the king. I'll just kind of go through this very quickly before we kind of get into the meat of this idea of politics. Number one, our job as a church is to love one another, right? I've already said that before. We want to love one another that the world may know that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus. The greatest apologetic is a, is a diverse, unified local church, right? I, I've said that enough to you. I, I pray that you would believe it. Uh, now, remember, the mission of the church, what are, what are we called to do? We think about the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So our job is not only to teach people what the Bible says, but to teach people to obey what the Bible says. We have missed this largely as a church, right? And how we obey does involve how we vote. It does involve how we interact with society. You can do things in your public sphere, in your jobs, and in your political leanings that are sinful and atrocious to God. You can also do things that are honoring and God-glorifying in the way you handle yourself. Remember, we want to be salt and light. We want to be the people of God, and then we want to radiate God's love to the world. So I would say this, we should be involved. We should care about government because we care about justice to a point, okay? Care about politics, care about justice to a point. We can't put our hope in politics. We can't put our hope in a Supreme Court. We can't put our hope in the, the, the shifting winds of our day. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone, right? And I think that I worry as a pastor when I see people putting more and more hype and pressure and weight on the next election. When you put so much emphasis and energy on the next election, you're putting not enough energy and power into Christ and his rule and reign at the end of days, right? Be very, very careful to, to care about politics too much. Excellent talk by Ben Sass. He's a United States senator, senator from Nebraska at the Gospel Coalition uh, 2015. He just basically said, I'm a senator. This is my job, but y'all need to think about politics less. I think we should take his word. Because when we're thinking about politics less, what we're doing is that that's not my ultimate hope. My ultimate hope is Christ and the gospel. And yet we can't avoid politics because it's part of how we exercise dominion in the fallen world. How we vote is how we exercise our dominion, what God has told us to do in a fallen world. And, and if we, we can't be silent when we see injustice, right? We can't be silent. I mean, how gut-wrenching it was for one of our members seeing domestic abuse just this past week, right? Not knowing what to do, but she wasn't silent. She didn't run in there and break it up, but she called the cops right away. That's not being silent. That's seeing injustice and that's doing something about it, right? But here's the thing. This is why it takes all political wisdom. We can say this is wrong and this is right. Sometimes the Bible makes that very clear. But how should we respond to, the, to, to what is right and what is wrong? Sometimes it's not as clear. How do we handle ourselves in a particular situation? Maybe different for you or different for me, right? You know, so we have to be very careful here. So the things that I want to kind of get at is that we are going to be unified when it comes to our conversation in politics if we focus on the Lord's table. So when you're thinking about all these issues, 
If your brother or your sister believes in a political idea or a conviction different than you, is that an offense or an opinion that should bar them from the Lord's table? Because our, our unity is at that table. It says that we believe that Jesus Christ died for us and that he rose for us. And are you living and, and having convictions in such a way that would contradict your faith in Jesus, right? Is it excommunicable offense? We have to be very careful with that. I think there are times that if you lean a certain political direction that you would be excommunicated from a church, okay? I think in 1939, if you were in Germany and you were a member of the Nazi party, you should have been banned from the church because they were on record at trying to exterminate the Jewish people. And everyone knew it, right? They should not have been allowed to be part of a church. You see, you hear, see what I'm saying? There's times for that. So we have to kind of figure out the, the difference of certain things. I think we can all say as Christians that abortion is Holocaust, is a Holocaust, and it's murder, and we should not support it, right? Abortion may have more weight than tax reform or welfare reform. How we view about immigration may be different than the weight of forming gay marriage. So if you are a Christian, you can't affirm gay marriage, right? You can't promote homosexuality because you're going against the book, right? Just, just on, on, on the surface level. Now, does that mean, well, we'll get to this, can I vote for a candidate that may affirm it? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. You see what I'm getting at? You see how this thing kind of takes a little bit different an animal. So how can we have good fellowship when it comes to politics? How can we have good fellowship when it comes to politics? Are you guys ready? Okay. All right. First, let's adjust our expectations, right? I said it in our, in our, in our members meeting. We're not all going to get along with this. We're not all going to agree, right? We live in an already and yet not yet reality, right? We are already bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been raised with Christ in the heavenlies. Ephesians chapter 2 makes that abundantly clear. We are redeemed, holy saints in God's sight. We are always going to be wrapped in the righteous robes of Christ, and Jesus Christ will always be interceding for us before the throne. Praise God and praise God. And yet, we're not in glory. We don't have infinite wisdom, right? We can't think and expect every single person here to have the same ideas and theology, right? Right? We're going to be, in ideology and politics, we're going to be different, okay? Um, we want to make sure that we recognize what the church is. We are a heavenly community. Our main job is to hold fast to Jesus, to live under his, uh, his authority, his lordship, and to radiate that to the world who are watching, right? We have to keep what's most important to us. We have to know what unites a church, where, where are we united on something, and where is it Christian freedom? So where is an issue a whole church issue, and where is it in the realm of Christian freedom? Um, so like, for example, the, the issue of, of abortion. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a straight line from the Bible on abortion, right, and to the voting booth, right? And we, we know that if abortion is wrong, right, that we should typically not support those who want to push forward with abortion, right? That's a straight line issue. Right? There's also jagged line issues, right? Maybe something like immigration reform. Well, what should, we, what should our border policy be? Well, we know that, uh, what is it, Deuteronomy chapter 10, right? Welcome the visitor in your midst, right? And then there's also these values of, uh, of justice and laws and obeying the laws of the land. Well, what should we do, right? Well, I think the, the answer there is a little bit more difficult, 
I remember a, couple, a few years ago, 2014, I believe, I preached a, a small series on um, social issues. And man, I got to immigration. I started my study. And it was like, this person's over here, this person's over here, this person's over here. All godly men, all wise, and yet they were disagreeing on what we should do with the problem, right? How do we solve our debt crisis? How do we solve Social Security? Well, there, there's, there's principles in the scriptures, but there's a jagged line, right, in terms of what we should actually do about it, right? But there's not a jagged line when it comes to abortion, because abortion's murder, because life begins at conception. The Bible's very clear at that. So if, that's a straight line, right? Marriage is a straight line from the Bible, right? So we should know where we stand on certain issues like that. We should uh, know for us what are the heaviest issues in our bucket, right? Every single one of you is going to go to the political booth, and we kind of use this language of being a single-issue voter, right? I'm a single-issue voter, and I don't like being single-issue voters. Can, you know, Al Mohler did a briefing about two weeks ago, and he says that we're all single-issue voters, and none of us are single-issue voters, Right? We all have different things that we care about, right? Uh, we all want different things for our, uh, for our nation, right? And there's certain things that are going to be more, you're going to be more passionate about than other things, right? So if you have your bucket, right, this is why I put the platforms out there, what rocks are the heaviest in your bucket, right? What do you care most about? Well, the ones that you care most about, you're probably going to lean towards, and that's the direction you're going to go, right? You just have to ask, am I right to care about this issue with that kind of weight, Okay, and I'm not telling you what you have to do, but you have to kind of figure out. Okay, where is the, what's the heaviest thing with us, you know? So, um, and obviously we want, want to do this with, with wisdom and understand that we have to respect those who have different convictions than us. Not everyone in this room is going to have the same convictions on what should be the heaviest rock in our bucket, right? We have to be very careful not to mandate what other people should do. We could take a principle like. Abortion is murder. Well, what is the best way to deal with overturning abortion? How do we do that? Well, we may come to different answers there. We may come to different answers when we, we come to the voting booth. We may come to different answers uh, when it comes to how we engage that in society, right? And we may be wrong in how we do things, right? One of the things we have to kind of look to, I think this is a helpful text for us. First um, Corinthians chapter 4, this has helped me tremendously in my own ministry here, and just, just in general, 1 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul is kind of being accused a little bit, and he says this, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But as a very, with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. Right? He's saying it's a small thing that if you judge me and you think that I'm wrong. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but that I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation, commendation from God. All that to say is you could be passionate and thinking that you are wise and biblical and you could be wrong in how you do it. The Lord will judge in time. You have to go before the Lord and go before his word, and you have to do what you think is right according to him, right? And one day, you and I will have to answer for everything that we do under the sun, things in secret and things in the open, because it's going to be made plain to all. We have to be very honest with that. So how do we take our conscience, and we kind of want our conscience to be in line with God's word? We do it with the Bible. We do it with the context of the church. 
or this is why we want to have relationships with one another, because if you are only listening to a certain news station, they're going to feed your ideologies. If you're only listening to those who are agreeing with you in the local church, they're going to feed your ideology, right? You need to agree and, and talk to people who don't agree with you. Have that wrestling conversation so you can be sharpened with your own convictions. It may be that your convictions actually go deeper, and it may be that you both kind of maybe come to a balance, or you maybe see someone else's perspective. Oh, I never thought about it that way before. We're not, mono, we're not uniform in this, in this church. We have different ethnicities. We have different nationalities. We have different socioeconomic backgrounds, different levels of education, different levels of experience in the world, right? Different age. Listen, there's lots of differences, right? We may not fall in line with everybody, but we should learn from each other, right? With humility. And then honestly, we should just give things time, right? This is the, the problem of our day is that we live in a reactionary world. If something happens, we need a response right now. Well, I just don't work that way, y'all. Like, I need to, sometimes I need things to simmer, right? I think we need more crockpot type of thinking, right? Let it simmer over time rather than just put it in the microwave, right? Give me, a, give me your first thought. And I think a lot of us might be microwaving our ideas on social media and we're not crockpotting, right? And therefore we're offending the brethren. We must be very careful with that. So um, Romans 4 is a, a wonderful help here, Right? You know, just very briefly, it says, welcome those as Christ has welcomed you, right? You were an alien and a stranger and an enemy of God doing wicked deeds and evil things. And God says, you are welcomed to me. Come, those who are weary and heavy laden, repent and I will give you rest and, and for your weary soul, right? That's the kind of demeanor we should have with one another. We should be gentle and kind and have the, 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 the demeanor of the Lord Jesus, so, uh, Witt's going to come up here in a second and ask some questions, but let me just, uh, I know a couple of questions that are, that are, that are going to be uh, in here, um, and I'll just kind of, maybe I'll throw them out there now, and then we can kind of talk about them uh, in a moment. Um, so, uh, what you hear some people saying is that, uh, can a Christian vote for Trump, right? Can you be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump, right? Uh, well, that's going to be a complicated question for, for people, Right? You know, because everybody has issues that would disqualify them for in good conscience voting for a candidate, right? Would you vote for a candidate that was a member of the Ku Klux Klan? Would you vote for a candidate that was a member of the Nazi party? Would you vote for a, a candidate that um, is, is, is advocating and pushing uh, to, to slaughter children or genocide in a foreign nation? Everybody has lines that they're not going to cross. I am not, maybe I'm not going to vote for the person who's a serial adulterer. I'm not going to vote for the person who is, who is a misogynistic and um, abusive towards women and stirs up strife in our, in our nation, right? But everyone has a different level of what that's going to disqualify them for, okay? Uh, so we want to be very careful not to say, you can't be a Christian and vote for Trump because you're not only voting for Trump, you're also voting for the platform of his party, Okay? But you may not say, listen, I can't vote for Trump, but I can't vote for this other guy. Maybe I'm not going to vote. Maybe, maybe you do that. There's lots of different things here. But I want to be very, very careful for us to make these loud pronouncements. You can't be a Christian end. Because here's what you're saying when you're saying that. If you're saying you can't be a Christian and vote for Trump, you're saying you can't come to the Lord's table if you vote for Trump. You are barred from fellowship with God if you vote for him. And it's the same thing on the opposite end, 
You can't be a a Christian and vote for a pro-abortion candidate. Again, we have to be very, very careful here. Now, why is someone voting for that candidate? Are they voting for that candidate because they believe that candidate is going to bring better justice to society? Do they think that maybe we should lose this election because the candidate that we're putting forward, that, I, that, that the party that we believe in, is so bad that we need to lose an election to reboot. So I'm not voting for this candidate because of abortion. I'm voting for them in spite of abortion. See what I'm saying? So if you're saying, if you vote for a pro-choice candidate, you are not welcome to the communion table. You are barred from fellowship with God. Now, we could say that if you believe that abortion is okay, I would say that you should be excommunicated from membership of a local church because you're going against God's word, right? Now, that's not to mean that those of you who have experienced that, those of you who have wrestled with that decision and who have grieving over your sin, of course you're welcome to the table. The table is for sinners. We've all made mistakes, okay? You see see what we're getting at here? But if you're actively continuing to pursue a line that is contrary to the word of God, well, then you're in sin. And you shouldn't come to the Lord's table until you repent. You see what I'm saying? Now, all that to be said, and I'll kind of end with this. Um, Are we morally accountable for our votes for a pro-choice candidate? I've seen that, that conversation happening uh, in, in the public square. Can I vote for a Democrat who is pro-choice, who wants to push forward abortion? Can I vote for them in spite of abortion, right? I mean, I don't want to vote for his policy on abortion, but I think it, it's going to be better for our nation in the long haul. I think it's going to promote more justice for, uh, for racial issues or whatever the case may be, immigration reform or welfare, you, you, whatever, whatever rocks the heavier in your bucket. Hey, I'm not voting him for abortion. I'm voting him for him in spite of his decision on abortion, right? Well, here's where you get a little, little, little challenging, okay? So let's say those four things that you love about this candidate, right? But they also have this fifth thing, that's abortion, right? You, you can't separate, hey, I'm only voting for the four, and I'm not voting for the fifth. When you, when you vote for a candidate, you're kind of taking all or nothing, right? Just like over on this side, right? There's a lot of issues with, with pro-life pro, uh, candidates, right? Hey, I like, I like these, these, three, these three things about them, but I don't like how they handle themselves in these two. Guess what? You're still accountable for these two, Okay? Now, that being said, be careful with our language, right? Uh, because I don't want to oversell things here, right? I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not going in that direction. I just want you to think through that, that 1 Corinthians 4 chapter, okay? It says very clearly that the Lord will judge us in the, in the last days, right? So if we vote for a pro-abortion um, candidate, will there be blood on our hands, right? And the, and the answer is, is maybe, we can't say that 100% that God will hold you accountable for, for that, that you knew in your heart that you did it in spite because you were trying to promote life on the other side. And, hey, I want to care for women after, they, uh, you know, after they, they choose life. And I think the Democratic Party has more opportunities for that. You know, God may say, hey, you, you did what was right, right? Or he may say on the day of judgment, you allowed 
more death to happen. So you, know, you see what I'm saying? This is why politics are, are, are a sticky issue, right? Because we're not God, and only he's the one who is going to judge, right? So we, we take our, our, our votes, and we take our hands, and we bring them before the Lord and say, Lord, what shall we do, right? How can we live in a way that's honoring? This is why we need each other. Because what happens when we grow and we think, we actually wrestle and lean with each other. Now, again, I'm not a politician, right? I'm not a political science major, right? I'm a pastor. So I'm trying to help pastor you as you think through these issues. But I don't want to oversell things one way or the other, right? I want to be honest, and I think what the Lord is going to hold us accountable to, okay? Uh, so here's what I'm going to do, right? We'll have some time to kind of do some, do some back and forth. And uh, again, if, if, I, if I said anything that was unclear or unfaithful, uh, please let me know, right? Uh, but this is a, a reality that we have to face, right? These are conversations that we're going to have. We pray that we have those in the church. So I'm going to have a, a quick word of prayer, right? Um, if you feel like you need to leave now, you, you, you can. Uh, if not, uh, we're going to probably have about 20 minutes of, of dialogue, right? Um, so uh, of, of Q&A. Uh, so uh, let me just pray, and then we'll have Wit come on up. Father, we love you, and uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the wisdom that you give us in it. Lord, I, uh, I pray that the words I said tonight would be, would be careful, Lord, and they would hurt in the, in the right spirit. Uh, God, we pray that you would just help us now as we, as we navigate, uh, Lord, that we would just all take a breath uh, and not try to fight one another if we disagree, but God, that we would understand that our real battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities of the dark forces in the heavenly realms. God, we want to be a church that's united around the gospel, even when we disagree. We pray that this talk would help serve that end. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite uh, Wit up, and um, we'll just kind of have a time of, of discussion. Uh, so you can uh, text Wit your questions. Some of you may have already, uh, have already done that. Um, so we'll just kind of, wherever you want to sit, friend. All right. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, thank you, because, I mean, this is a divisive topic, and we all kind of feel the weight of that, especially when certain words were said. Your opening line there, I think my heart went, what? You know, like, what did he say? Uh, so just being willing to answer questions and talk yep. about it. Thank you. Um, let's start off with more general, more broad, yep. Yep. and some of you mentioned uh, this is the most popular question that we got easily. Uh, is it a sin not to vote? Uh, again, maybe. You know, I think that we should care about justice, as I said, because God has established justice. Uh, I think that if you look at both candidates and you don't feel in your heart that you can, in good conscience before the Lord, vote for either one, uh, I think that you're okay in saying, hey, I'm not going to vote. Um, again, that doesn't mean you're right. I think 1 Corinthians makes that very clear. I, I am not judging against myself, but that by no means it means that I'm innocent. God will judge in, in, the, in the last days. I think sometimes, if I can just be honest, the reason why we don't vote is because we just don't want to choose. And it's hard to make decisions, and it's hard to choose, right? Even the things that I said tonight, I know probably upset some of you, Right? But I have to have convictions too, right? And I have to kind of say things that I, that I believe in. And listen, it's hard sometimes when you know, if, you, if I say A, 
I'm going to get a whole lot of flack from B, right? And some of you don't want to vote for a certain candidate because there may be backlash from your family, maybe backlash from your friends. Um, this is one of the reasons why people don't talk about politics, because it causes problems. So the end, at the end of the day, I think it, you could be completely innocent before the Lord and not vote. And I think you can also be guilty before the Lord for being, um, I don't want to use the word cowardly, right? I think that might be too strong, uh, but maybe too passive, right? Um, so possibly, you know, there's a good answer. With yes or no, maybe. Can we just write that down for all yeah, of them yeah. here on now? Yeah. Just maybe. Just maybe, maybe. <laughs> it's politics. It's a very good political answer. Yeah. Um, is it worth talking about politics with other church members if it causes division? Well, that's a great question. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I didn't come up with it. Yeah. Uh, I think so. I think in the end, um, it depends on how you talk about it, right? Uh, I think that we also... Okay, so biblical kind of triage in my head. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Um, uh, seek peace and harmony at all times, right? Strive to be for unity of, of the spirit and the bond of peace. Generally, I think it's right and good to avoid conflict, right? I think it's probably a good thing. Um, and I think it's easier to do. Like, again, no one wakes up in the morning and says, man, I can't wait to get in, in a rousing political discussion with a family member or a friend. Um, and have them hate me for three days. Or church member. Um, or church member. Um, but I still think that it's, it's good for our hearts to have difficult conversations. Because what happens when you have a difficult conversation is that you actually have to consider the person in front of you, and you have to not bow up in pride, but you have to humble yourself and consider others someone better than yourself. And that causes you to wrestle with the deeper things of God and your own pride and your own arrogance, which I think is helpful for your soul. Um, so... Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye before you look in the speck of sawdust in your brothers, right? So analyze your own heart first, check your own, or your own conscience, how you're thinking about things. But then it says, go to your brother and help him with the speck of sawdust in his brother's eyes, you know? Um, I pray that even you guys would do that to me tonight. Hey, have you thought about this? Hey, that's a good point. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't consider that. Um, I listened to different um, talks as I was preparing for this, talked to different individuals that I knew probably weren't 100% in line with me, um, or in my, my own political views, uh, I think that sharpened me, right? I don't think it changed me in terms of my, my opinions, but hopefully it changed my demeanor. So, uh, With that, is it wise then to discuss political politics over social media? Uh, I, I think probably not. Right? I think social media is, is a hotbed for uh, strife and confusion. Uh, I've said this probably several times of late, is very rarely, um, meaning zero times have someone come to me in the last six months and said, Pastor, I had a really long face-to-face -face conversation with member X, and I'm really concerned about where they are theologically and with the Lord. Usually what I typically hear is, Pastor, so-and-so tweeted, so-and-so liked this. Have you seen what they said on social media? And my response is, have you talked to them? And they say, well, they try to talk on social media, it usually just blows up, Right? And I think part of that is because of social media, but part of that is because of our own character. I think that we are presuming and, and, and projecting motives on people, right, on social media, right? And then social media, people don't want to engage in conversations, just one back and forth. Some people have found social media conversations helpful. I personally have not. They have probably caused more strife and division in our body, 
and they are causing strife and division in our body this week in terms of how our members are handling themselves on social media, right? So we just to be very, very careful asking ourselves, is it wrong for me to post? Is, it, is the tone the right thing? Should I qualify what I'm saying? I mean, there's lots of things there. And at the same time, people have convictions, and we have to let people live out their convictions in, in their own way. And we have to be able to say, okay, that's not the way I would have done it, but I, I can appreciate their, their stance, right? But typically what tends to happen is you tend to judge people based on their social media interaction, and that tends to change your interaction with them in person, right? So generally, I think, think not good. Is it possible? Sure. Personal opinion. Uh, this is a two-part question. Should Christians expect the culture, culture slash the political world to reflect their Christian beliefs? No. Is it possible to legislate the morality, then, of the scriptures? Yes. Okay. Uh, so every law you make is a moral judgment, right? So um, if you steal uh, $5,000 from someone, you go to prison, right? Or you have to spend so many nights in jail. You have to pay restitution. Well, why? Well, the Bible says thou shalt not steal because personal, someone's personal property is, is, is kind of given to them by God, right? So uh, we legislate morality all the time with every law that we pass, right? Sometimes we're legislating bad morality, right? We're saying things that are not good, right? This idea we're not bringing justice or God's image bearers, uh, causing them to flourish because we're saying things that's actually contrary to God in Romans chapter 1. We become a culture like that. But I don't think that you should expect the culture to bow to Christian, a Christian worldview, right? For many years, there were certain aspects of our country that bowed to a Christian worldview, and there were certain other aspects of our country that did not bow to a Christian worldview, okay? So you're never going to have a perfect uh, nation under heaven. I mean, you're not going to have a perfect church either, right? And yet we are working to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every way in the church, but we can't expect that in society, right? And I think partly is because I don't see Paul or Peter or James saying, go do this to the world and expect the world to treat you this way. I think that Jesus and the rest of the New Testament says, expect the world to hate you, right, for not wanting to stand up for truth, right? And right now in America, the sexual revolution, right, is dominating American culture. So if you stand on a biblical morality when it comes to sex and marriage, you will not make it in the public sector, right? Because you will lose it all if you stand against the transgender movement, homosexuality, um, you know, and, 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 the, and the abortion industry. I think the underlying question with those two questions were, uh, what's the value or the worth of being engaged in politics if there isn't a expectation that they will actually reflect our beliefs? Yeah, so uh, go to the book of Titus this afternoon and uh, this evening or tomorrow and just read how many times it calls Christians to do good works, right? Good works are all over the book of Titus, right? Um, even, you know, Titus 2.14 maybe summarizes it. God, Jesus Christ gave himself um, for us to form a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works, right? Declare this with all authority. Titus 3.1 remind them to do good works, right? I think changing laws and working for the good of society and working for justice is a good work, right? So I don't think that you could be salt and light and kind of remove the decay of our, our world by fighting for good work, 
right? And we have lots of people in our congregation who are fighting for good work, who are fighting to, to teach kids in a godly way, right? To are caring for people in the healthcare industry, right? So we don't want to just kind of throw our hands up and say, well, we can't change the culture, so we don't try. God's called us to be salt and light, right? Wherever God calls us to, right? I pray some people here would, would work as lobbyists on, 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 on K Street in, in Washington to help have, to, you know, bring godly laws to, to bear, right? Um, but we can't expect an ungodly culture to want to follow godly principles. It's just, it's just we can't do it, right? People need a heart change, right? That doesn't mean you don't try and you don't reason with them, right, using natural reason why things are better for society. Not every argument that we make has to be the Bible says so. We can make an, a larger argument from a uh, worldview, right, of a national view. This is just better for society. You know, you can make an argument that we should have um, a, more tax credits for, for children or for marriages because historically m- marriage is the number one thing that gets people out of poverty. And yet what is often talked about in, in welfare is that they don't promote marriage, they actually discourage it in terms of tax law. We should fight to change that, right? You can use the historical argument to do that. So, um, so yeah, don't expect the culture to change, but I think it's good to, to do anything that would cause God's image bearers to have more justice in the world. I think that would be right in line with the New Testament and the Old. Um. Here's one. Uh, how should Christians think about the future of the planet, given that God is sovereign, and yet science and technology tells us our work and our interaction can be negative on the planet? Yeah, so Genesis chapter 1, we're called to exercise dominion over the earth, right? So one of the ways we exercise dominion is to care for our creation. Uh, one of the, the, one of the uh, writers who's done a lot of thinking on this is uh, Christopher Wright, um, in his mission of God, and uh, he wrote kind of several books on the mission of God. He's really an Old Testament scholar. He talks a lot about creation care. We should care for creation. This is God's world. We should exercise dominion over it. I think we should be those who care for um, our creation. Proverbs said we should even care for our animals, right? So I think we should not litter, right? I don't think that is, is honoring to the Lord, right? God gave us this uh, world. So First uh, Timothy 4, uh, God created all things good and should be received with thanksgiving. Right? So we'd receive all the blessings in this world with, with thanksgiving. You know? So, um, yeah, so I think that, you know, I don't think we should be flippant about people who talk about climate change and, you know, all those things. It's kind of like the right size Well, climate change is not anything. Listen, how we interact with the world is going to affect the world, right? Are we being good stewards of God's creation, right? Um, now, what's going to happen to the end it tends, depends on your eschatology, um, if you're post-mill, you think that we're going to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, if you're on-mill, you think that Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to remake the earth, right? Leaving that which is good and taking out that which is bad. Uh, if you're pre-mill, you probably think the world's going to burn and be restarted, right? Um, so depending on if you have more of a, a hopeful view or a pessimistic view of the end times might, might determine how you want to interact with the world. Uh, again, that's directly how you view the scriptures, so... What are the heavy rock issues, and how do you uh, determine those? Yeah, so I think the heavy rock issues right now uh, that people are talking about is going to be abortion, right, and uh, racial justice, right? Now, I don't think that those rocks are um, the same, right? I, I think that, you're, you know, there has been racial injustice in our nation uh, for a long time, and that's kind of what, what, what's largely talked about. A lot of times people are talking about their own experience, right? So you kind of look at the, 
what has the racial injustice that's happened from the foundation of, of, of America, you know, even when the, the pilgrims first landed, uh, 1620, the pilgrims from Plymouth um, came and landed and, and kind of going, going forward, lots of all that racial injustice. And then the, the cumulative abortion kind of formalizing in 1973 with Roe Ro v. Wade. Uh, those, I think, are two big rock issues for people, right? And I think that's, that's the challenge. I think what I see about these issues of Christians, they're like, okay, I don't like uh, Trump's demeanor. I don't um, like how he maybe incites um, violence, whether that's a true characterization or not, that's what people are saying, um, and how he can, maybe is not promoting peace among different races, right? That's a huge rock for people right now. The other huge rock is the Supreme Court and um, having conservative court maybe that possibly over overturn Roe v. Wade and how we view abortion. Generally, I think that those are the big rocks that are talking about. There's other things, of course, immigration reform, education, Depending on what you're passionate about, that rock may change for you. But I think in the large scheme of the American conversation, those might be the two biggest rocks. I'm not sure if you guys would agree or, or maybe add something there. You mentioned the um, homosexuality marriage. Oh, yeah. So, you know, sometimes I kind of group, uh, so when I say sexual revolution, I'm grouping the abortion conversation along with homosexuality and transgender movement because they all seem to be connected. Um, we'll touch on a little bit of this uh, when we talk about um, the race conversation in a couple weeks. Um, uh, but I, I do think that the, you know, right now the, the marriage conversation has been a large, a big one in the, in the Supreme Court conversations, right? Uh, because religious freedom is the next thing that's on the line, right? Maybe that's kind of, kind of grouped in on, on, all, on all those different things, so... How should government workers think about implementing the laws put in place by elected officials that conflict with their own convictions? Can you repeat that? How should government workers think about implementing laws put in mm -hmm. place by elected officials that conflict with their own convictions? Well, that's a great question, right? That's a complicated one because you're, you're called to honor those who are in authority over you, right? So like a situation you have a, you, are, you work for the government and they want you uh, to um, you're a, a clerk and they want you to issue same-sex marriage license and that would violate your conscience, something like that. Um, well, that's going to be an individual decision how someone responds, right? How do I honor the government? How do I honor the Lord and have a clean conscience uh, before God? Um, you, know, you know, Al Mohler uh, has, has said there's probably going to be certain industries in, 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 Amer in American culture that are going to be kind of off-limits for Christians if you want to live by your convictions, right? That may, that may be happening down, down the pipeline. Um, you could resign from your government work and find something that would not offend your conscience. Um, you could so try to honor your boss any way you can and say, hey, boss, I, I support you, I love you, but I can't do these things. And if you ask me to do these things, then I'm out, right? Uh, I think we're all going to have certain things in our life that we're not going to cross lines for, right? But then other things, okay, I, I, can, I can feel okay with that and still kind of move forward. So, Again, it's going to be a, a tough one, but I think a, um, yeah, but I think there's going to become times when you're not going to be able to continue to work in the government. Should the character or morality of a candidate factor into our vote? Yes. Um, how, how heavy is that rock? Uh, that's a big rock. Um, that's a big rock because um, I think two things you'll think about is that when you vote for a candidate, you're not just voting for a candidate, you're voting for the candidate's platform. Um, that's why you kind of put the platforms out there because what, 
79% of the time, I think the Democrats vote Democratic. 89% um, Republicans vote Republican, right? So just kind of think that's what the numbers say. I, I might have flipped that. Um, but the Proverbs talk a lot about character, right? It says when, when there's a godly man ruling, the people flourish, right? We talk often about, you know, David's last words in 2 Samuel 23, right? Like the people flourish, like the, like the rising of the noonday, right? This is why in a local church that should be under the authority of Christ, pastors should be godly men who care for their families and have good character and love people. Why? Because they want the people of God to flourish under their care. Because Jesus is the chief shepherd, and if we are led by the chief shepherd, we will be uh, led by streams of water and lay down in, in quiet pastures, right? We will flourish. So if you have a godly pastor, hopefully you'll flourish in the church. If you have a godly governor, hopefully you'll flourish. If you have a godly principal, a godly boss, you'll flourish. If you don't have one, you tend to rot. So I do think character is important, right? Um, I think we've seen that even in our own nation. Yeah. I have a question for you. Uh, would you mind defending a stance if I gave it to you? <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to, buddy. Like, could you play devil's advocate for sure, us? Sure, sure. Because you mentioned the heavy rocks being LGBTQ abortion, mm -hmm. and that seems to be a you know more on the Democratic side. Those that be they would follow that. How would you then defend someone who would vote Democrat, considering those are two of the heavier rocks that you mentioned? Yeah, I think that people are going to be voting for a Democratic candidate in spite of those things. Um, so I think they'll say, I agree with the Democratic platform and their love um, and desire to serve the poor, right? So I believe in maybe a more of a big government system. I think the government, uh, a larger government, may produce um, more health for um the, the minorities in our country, uh, help for um, the poor uh, in our country. I believe their, their view on socialized Medicare, Medicaid, medication, uh, socialized health care. Um, so depending on which rock you, you, want, you want to look at. Yeah, but I don't think that you can be a Christian and vote for those candidates for those reasons, in a sense for their stance on abortion and for their stance on um, pro-homosexuality. Right? So I think those would be contrary to a Christian worldview and contrary to the scriptures. I, I do think right now that you could be a Christian, right, and like I said, and vote in that way, right, in spite of those decisions, but that doesn't mean that you absolve yourself from any kind of guilt before the Lord on the last day, right? But it doesn't mean that you don't, you do, right? Again, this is only time will tell and God will judge us at, in the end. How do Christians reconcile competing convictions that may be in differing political parties? Uh, great question. Um, you want to give me an example? Feel free to text. <laughs> <laughs> text me that example right now. Uh, well, yeah. So and, I, some of you are texting me paragraphs with four or five questions in them. Give me one concise, clear question yeah. that would maybe summarize that. Because, and also, make sure your questions aren't pointed. Like, yeah. we know what you're trying to say. Don't make an argument in your question. Yeah. Give me a question. So, <laughs> so we have, we'll have, we're going we're to go for another nine minutes here, right? So we'll, I'll try to answer some of these quickly. I think you are going to have different convictions in, in different parties, right? I think certain parties, uh, remember, we have, we have a two-party system. That's the only party system that we really have. There are other candidates out there, right? There's the Green Party, the Libertarian Party. There's other views that you can, you can do. So just 
We don't have to say you only vote for Republican and only vote for Democrat. That's not what we're saying here. Those are the largest ones and, and most likely the only ones who are going to be elected this coming election. So that's why we're kind of talking about it. Um, but there's going to be different convictions that you, okay, I like this about this party. I like this about that party, right? You know, I mean, that's just going to happen. And they could be Christian convictions, right? But that's with anything. I like this about this job. I like this about that job. Which job do I take? Well, at the end of the day, you're gonna have to, you have to just make a decision, right? So um, it's, it's challenging. Now, I've gotten throughout the week and tonight questions on uh, Black Lives Matter. Do you yeah. want to save that for two weeks? Uh, yeah, we'll probably save that, save that for two weeks, but I do think that um, everything in our nation is political, right? So every conversation that you have is gonna be political. So um, we're gonna talk about that at length, length um, in, in, in a couple weeks, so I probably won't touch on it now. But how you view Black Lives Matter and how you uh, view racial injustice and uh, the, the nation's response to that and the individual uh, Christian's response to that and the church's response to that will shift you uh, in your political leanings, right? So um, this is why I think it's so complex is that you can, I like this over here, but I don't like that over there, right? Um, you know, and I think that the, the Black Lives Matter movement is more than just... Um, what Black Lives Matter, the statement means, right? That there's going to be some unpacking that we'll have to do um, in the coming weeks. Okay, what I'm getting a lot of uh, from the devil's advocate question is it seems though abortion is because it's that straight line, it holds so much weight that it's almost possible to vote for the other side. And you're saying no. I'm, I'm not saying, um, I want to be very careful here. I don't want to tell anyone who, who to vote for. You have to stand before the Lord for your own convictions. I do think abortion is, is a Holocaust issue, right? I think that that is a, um, that's a big, big rock, right? And I think it's a big, big issue, right? Um, so it's going to be hard for me as a, as a Christian to vote for a pro-abortion candidate, where I'm at now, me personally. Um, can someone make an argument to do that? I think they can, right? What Still. would that be? I think like the argument, they'll say things, okay, historically, um, uh, the... Uh, the abortion numbers go down during a Democratic presidency. Why is that? Um, I don't know why that is. Okay. You know, uh, the, the, historically, that's what, that's what the numbers are. A number of reasons, factors that could, that could be that way. Um, they could say, well, I, I believe that if the, the, if the Republican Party continues to go down this direction, right, we will continue to lose our soul, right? Therefore, I can't vote for this guy I want us to kind of get to the bottom and then build back up, right? Therefore, I'm going to choose uh, this person over here, playing the long game. Uh, it could be, I, I believe that uh, even though I d disagree with the Democratic stance on abortion, I believe they better off, they offer more services for women who want to choose, choose life, right? So, you know, so I think at this point, you can still uh, be a Christian and vote for a, um, a pro-choice candidate in spite of, I may disagree with that, right, personally, but in spite of abortion, but not because of abortion. And just make sure I'm going to clarify this, because you're saying that they may still be helping lessen abortions, even though legislatively they're not. I'm not saying they are. They're saying that they may make the argument, argument. that they okay. do. Right? That's, yeah. This is one of the th couple of things about the, there's a straight line issue, but remember, how is our response? So the, the, let's say we, we all agree that abortion is, is, is murder and is wrong. Well, how should you respond to it? Does that mean you should go to a, an abortion clinic and pick it? Does that mean you should give money to a, uh, a volunteer at a pregnancy crisis center? 
Uh, does that mean you should um, work with unwed mothers, right? Does that mean you should foster? Does that mean you should adopt, right? We can all agree on the principle, but the application of how we live that out, that's a little bit different. I think that's where the jagged line comes in. So some people with the, 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 the issues over here, but they believe the best way to deal with this is by going against the Republican Party, right? And by voting for the Democratic Party. So, How should we handle the candidate you didn't vote for being elected? Um, with humility and grace, right? Not with arrogance and pride, right? Elections are going to come and go. The nations are going to raise against Jesus until the end of days, right? We should not be overwhelmed. We should not be overjoyed when our candidate gets picked, right? Because God is in charge, right? God is sovereign over that which happens in our mind that is good, and God is sovereign when that happens in our mind is evil, right? Let us just trust him, you know? So. I have a question, but it seems like an, it's more of an argument. Okay. Bring it on. Take a sip of water. <laughs> Guys, I love you. This is not easy. Go ahead. Okay. You mentioned marriage being the ultimate factor for poverty. It seems like that. that it's one of the main causes. It's one of the main causes, historically, that would pull people out of po poverty would be marriage. Okay. Which would lead then to, would you say more abortions? Would be uh, less abortions. Less abortions. Okay. Because... Uh, people would be in a stable, committed husband and wife relationship. More people, if they get pregnant, are willing to keep the child. Okay. Um, so how should eliminating poverty translate a candidate that promotes social welfare, welfare, welfare policies? So, for example, uh, putting people in prison for small charges like marijuana breaks up families. Yep. Therefore, should we advocate legalizing marijuana in order for the bigger issue of keeping families together and less abortion? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, if you look at the Democratic platform, they, they, most of it, they want to kind of re reduce the drug charges and that sort of thing. You could make an argument, right? I think that's the, that's, the, that's the jagged line issue, right? Is, okay, I believe that families should stay together. Therefore, that's the heavy rock in my bucket. Therefore, I'm going to support policies that are going to bring and keep families together, Right. So therefore, we should try to legalize marijuana, right? So therefore, they can, you know, stay in the home or make it make, not not a, uh, a make it a crime or not a, a jail time crime, just a, just a fine, right? You can make that argument. Now, whether you that is argument is is good or not, that's a whole other conversation, right? But I think this is where the, the jagged line versus the straight line comes in. The straight line is just marriage is good, right? God honors it. The jagged line is how do we promote marriage in our society when there is poverty and all these other factors of of education and you know drug abuse and systemic uh, families issues you know so and listen um, let me just kind of take a, take a moment for talk about a, a, abortion is it's a sin of the church forty percent of abortions that happen in our country are done by people who say who claim Christ, claim Christ and go to church. 40%. So the Christian church is probably giving $200 million to the abortion industry every year. We can't sound all high and mighty with this, right? Right. So some people would say that, look at, look at the Republican Party has been in power for so many years and they've done nothing with it. 
you know, who knows in all those reasons. But I think that what I was trying to get at tonight is we need to be the church under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ here first, and then we can be salt and light out there. Yep. I'm getting a few questions that you addressed in your talk. Do you want me to ask them again? Uh, sure. If they're just give me, give me, I'll do a quick summary. Okay. Uh, is it wrong to believe that endorsing a pro-choice candidate is a valid reason not to break bread together? Um, right now, I don't think so, right? Again, if it's in spite of rather than because of, right? That's a big difference, okay? So if, if there is um, any sin, any unrepentant sin would be a, a, an offense that would bar you from the table, right? So if you are not going to repent of a particular sin that the Bible is clear on, then you should probably not take the Lord's Supper, right? So if you are for abortion and not, like, you're, I'm going to do everything I can to keep abortion illegal, I think that would bar you from the communion table because I think that means that you are, are sinning against God, right, and his word. Now, that doesn't mean that if you could vote for a candidate in spite of their position, that's the same thing, right? So we want to be very careful there, right? Um. Can I be a Christian and support ideas that may be considered socialist? Yes. No comment. Um, let's see here. Sorry, they're coming in so fast. Guys, you had all week. What's happening here? We're just... Yeah. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> Now's the time. Here we go. Uh, so let's see here. Um, two more questions. Two, two more, more questions. questions. Oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these questions are good. Some of them are questions that we've already answered. Uh, two more, okay. How do we evangelize and apply the gospel when we are having political conversations with non-believers? Uh, so what's the most important thing in your political conversation? Is it the, that the person agrees with you and votes for your candidate, or is it their soul? that will never die, that will be eternally blessed forever if they know Jesus or eternally condemned if they reject him, right? I think that we have to remember as Christians, our main goal is not to win in politics. Our main goal is that God would have justice in the world so that we would be able to thrive in our society to be salt and light in the world. There would be justice for God's image bearers, right? Which this is a, is a, is a, is a very challenging thing, right? You know, we want, to, we want a society that has good laws and morally just and right and good. But our main aim is not to live in a just, um, righteous society. Our main goal is to be a just and righteous society under the lordship of Jesus Christ as the church. And by our love for one another, the world may know that Jesus Christ is real. Our main goal is eschatological, not temporal, right? So when you're trying to, maybe you just listen more and you don't advocate your political side of things. Or maybe you press your Christian worldview on them in, in conversations. But what is your main aim? Is your main aim to win an argument or is it to help them know Jesus? That's good. Last question. Praise the Lord. <laughs> One second. Mm, all right. I have a lot of people just telling me things, which 
Guys, I'm not going to give you answers. <laughs> it's just okay. uh, let's see here. Mm, sorry, I don't know if I have one. Do you have one? Uh, last well, let me, just, let me just kind of wrap it up with just a couple, a couple last comments, right? So this is not an easy issue to talk about, right? So again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to dance, and I don't want to offend anyone here because I love you, right? Uh, hopefully that everything was, was said in love, and um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm trying to kind of dance the line, right? And trying to, trying to, I think, be faithful to the scriptures and faithful as your pastor without telling you what you have to do. Um, but these are not easy issues, right? Um, but we also have to be willing to, to admit that we're going to have to make a decision, and we're going to have to make choices, right? And one day, we are going to have to answer for every choice that we make. And not only the choice that we make, but in the manner of how we make that choice, right? Um, because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That means everything that you do, right, uh, in your home, at your jobs, uh, how you vote, how you care for creation, how you care for your own body is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Right? And some of us do certain things really well. Others of us don't. We need the body. We need each other, right? So if we can come out of this conversation not, um, you know, bitter and angry at maybe some things that I said, not bitter and angry at each other, but all of us take a deep breath and say, okay, how can I better love the body of Christ here at Park uh, with my words and with my actions, especially if I don't agree with them politically, right? Uh, as I've said before, it's easy when someone doesn't think like you, to distance yourself from them, right? I would say the opposite. Pull them in closer, right? Help me learn from your, your, your viewpoint of things, right? Um, and, and we have Democrats and Republicans in our church. We have independents in our church, right? And I, and I am happy, I am happy to take the Lord's Supper with you. I am happy to know that we belong to Christ together. I'm happy to know that we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit shared in common. So if, if I can rejoice in that, I pray that you could rejoice in it as well. And you can come to the table from different sides of the aisle, one in Christ. So why don't you pray, pray us out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and mercy in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and being raised again so that we may have hope not in this life only, but also in the one to come. We pray, Lord, as all the saints have prayed, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Give us wisdom and discernment, Lord, and give us peace and kindness, as your word says, that by our love for one another, the world may know we are your disciples. I pray, Lord, that would be true in our church. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.